Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We thank them for broadcasting this, WCOM in Richmond, Virginia, IBM TV. And you can watch the show on Big My Entertainment on Amazon, Roku, and Fire Stick. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us, as always, uh, on the broadcast. I want to go... Uh, straight to my guest. He is a licensed therapist and, of course, uh, host of A Dose of the Dime with Yanni. It airs every Friday morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. That's Connecticut time um, here on the Bathroom News Radio Network. And I want to bring in Yanni. Hey, Yanni, I appreciate you coming on, as always. What's up? What's up? Hola, mommies and poppies. It's Yadio DJ and Dan Ducky with Mr. L.A. Let's get it. Sound like you're in a spaceship somewhere, so we're going to work with that. Um, I I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to talk about, uh, I'm sure you heard and and read about the uh, Simone Bias story where she decided that in the best interest of her, right, herself and her mental state, that she withdrew from some of the competition at the Olympics in Tokyo, which also is a selfless move in regards to being a good teammate. I'm in the air flipping, and I'm forgetting where I'm at. This is not only not going to help me and injure me, but it's also going to help, I mean, going to hurt the team. Um so I wanted to get your thought first about that, how she handled it, um, the negative feedback she got, but she did get a lot of love as well in this this era that we call social media. Okay, so first and foremost, let's get to the big Unfortunately, what I tell my kids, I do recognize I tell my kids and I tell my children that we have to be ten times better than other children. And I'm talking about us melanated children have to be ten times better than the other children in order for us to get barely any recognition. So when we foul, when we mess up, when we, you know, get in trouble, it's ten times worse. I mean, we, we saw the same thing with some issues with Bill, you know. Um, he did not get nearly any of the backlash that some of our athletes have gotten on the Tokyo one. I mean, we're not just talking about the mountain. We're also talking about, you know, um, uh, I forgot the sister's name, but the, the runner. She got backlash. A lot of it. Wanting her to even drop out of the Olympics. But for what? Why, why is it that we have to be the best of the best of the best and they can just mediocre. Yeah, I, I just want to uh, let you know I'm um, mute you for a second because we're we're getting a lot of feedback and some of uh, what you're saying is is muffled. But you're right uh, if you can adjust that. But you're right that we have to be better. You had to teach your and tell your children had to have that conversation. I had to do the same and continue to do it and. And certainly other parents are, are doing it now, not just because of of incidents like this where social media goes crazy, the social media era, but also in the 
the dangers of society. You know, we, as you and I know, the police brutality and the things, um, women and, and men of color being killed for just on the base of that is crazy. But, you know, with, with Simone coming out and saying this, it, it really speaks to her, not just her courage, and I'm using that word, and a lot of people who are just sports people and, and like Laura Ingram said, just dribble the ball, damn it, and don't talk about issues. Um, those who are always going to have their issues with our athletes in particular should see the courage, not only because of her stepping away because of her illness, but this is a young lady that's strong. She, her college coach, her gymnast coach, um, committed horrible, heinous sexual advancements and acts on her, and still she worked through that, still working through that. I'm sure you're a therapist. She's, I'm sure she's still working through that, but also performed at a high level, setting that aside, being a team player again in the midst of that. So she could have folded then, Yanni, um, from that experience, and here she is. She gets through that. She makes it to be arguably, I believe, the greatest gymnast of all time, at least in the United States. And she's going through this. So she doesn't get the credit. How much of that also speaks to um, the fact that she's a black female as well? That the fact that you know, had this been a, a guy, you know, we're patting him on the back and talking about the strength and the courage and his focus to get through it and all, all these other things. But here it is, Simone Baez, and it's a different story. Well, okay, so the one thing that I do know about um, majority of us black women, I never try to speak in generalities. That's the thing that I won't ever do. But the majority of us are resilient, if nothing else. So, yes, Sister Girl went through a lot of trauma, a lot of um, – Definitely some some very, very difficult times, but she found that love and that space for the things that she wanted to do. Having that trauma does not take from the fact that she's an amazing athlete. Having that trauma does not take from the fact that she loves what it is that she does, and she's good at it. And so that, for me, for instance, and I know this has nothing to do, but I'm going to relate it back. Um, Going through my divorce, I loved dance. When I went through my divorce, I was teaching dance at least four times a day because I needed to find a space where I could be safe and feel safe, and it was when I danced. So having her come back out and show out, it was, yes, it is phenomenal. It is awesome. But, yeah, I, I expected nothing less. I expected nothing less because of the fact that she, you know, us as black women, we are resilient. And when we find our coping skill, we find that thing that we love, we find that thing that makes us glow, we we cling to that. And, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, we've, we've heard it all before. It's a lot of um, people that will say, you know, that black women are the most underrated women on the face of the earth, and we're the most underprotected. Um, I saw a post today, and obviously this has nothing to do with the Olympics. I saw a post today, and it made me think about it. Um, she asked. She was asking women of different ethnicities, not not women of color. She wanted any other um, ethnicity of women, white women, um, um, Asian women, anything but a black woman. Um, And she asked, has any man ever asked them what they brought to the table? Has that ever been a discussion? Because she wanted to make a point that, 
for us, it is always us getting asked what it is that we bring to the table. But we don't see that being asked of any other race or any other culture. And the overwhelming response was, no, that question doesn't come up. So why is that always a thing for us? Why do we have to prove and overprove and prove again that we are not, not just that we're worth because we're worth it just because we're here, but why that we are good, we are great, we are good. Why do we have to prove that? that that's a, that's a, a whole hidden trauma that we probably need to eventually talk about together. That's a great uh, a point and great uh, point of conversation as well. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Yanni Knox of Adults of Dine, of course, that airs every Friday morning at 938. Uh, 930 Eastern on the Bachelor News Radio Network here and WCOM. Yoni, when you look at this taboo, this mentality, is it more, I, I, I just thought about it, and, and when the negative, the naysayers are always going to be there, regardless of any issue or topic or discussion. There's always going to mm-hmm. be someone negative and this and that. So I, I came to expect that when she pulled out, especially, again, from people who just look at it through the lens of sports. Just go play. I don't care about you having problems. I want to win. I want you to win gold for the United States. Um, but the other part of it is that this, this stigma, society in general, but, but more specifically the, the people of color, that we can't have these conversations in our communities, in our households. We can't talk. I'm stressed. I need someone to talk to. It may not mean you're going to go out and shoot up, God forbid, the whole place, but you just, you fatigue. You got weight on the world and all that stuff. Why is that? Is it more of society just kind of, of putting this, this label on people or they're just bonkers because they're, you know, fatigued mentally? Or is it because it's just a, a sort of a, uh, going back to a sort of a testosterone thing where, you know, everybody's got to be tough and you can't do this. And what well, what is it the reason why, especially when it comes to athletes and, and people of color specifically? I feel like um, a lot of it, and not just athletes, I feel like a lot of this comes from generational trauma. Um, and hear me out when I say this for those of you who don't know what generational trauma is. So our people, most of our, most of our people were not born in America. We were brought here via um, the slave trade Congo, okay? So with that being said, there, like spankings are also a generational, it was a help for when our um when we were all in slavery because no master, you don't have to whip our children. Look, we're going to whip them for you so that they don't kill them. So I feel like a lot of us were taught to stifle our emotions, to stifle our cries for help, to um, hold whatever you have going on, and that would be considered your dirty laundry. And as you already know, we don't ever air our dirty laundry. And it's been like a societal thing, a cultural thing that has kind of stayed with us throughout history. And we're not even going to go into how Gen X, you know, I, I, I don't know if you are Gen X. I think, I think you might be a boomer, right? Right, L.A.? Uh, but how Gen X is, um, <laughs> how Gen X was um, kind of, we were the original latchkey kids. You know, we didn't get that space to, if something went wrong, we had to figure it out ourselves. We did not dare call our mom, call our dad. And I'm, just, I'm not talking just about culturally this time. At this point, it is a whole generation of generation people who 
stifle their feelings and don't talk about the things that are going on because, you know what, we got a job to do, so let's get this job done. We were taught to hold that together because, God forbid, you contacted somebody to help you. It meant that you couldn't do your job. Or for children, it meant that, you know, if, if, you, if it was something that was easy and you couldn't figure it out, you're now going to get in trouble. So we learn how to stifle and figure stuff out on our own. So it is a generation teaching generation teaching generation that, no, you figure this out on your own. You don't tell other people what's going on in your house. It's dirty laundry. You don't air that. And as far as what I call the social media paparazzi, they it, it is literally people sitting on their behinds who don't know much about anything. They hear, well, why does she get to stand what's going on? It's always somebody sitting on their behind doesn't know anything about the sport, but they hear these stories and they go off because of what happened to them and they made it through. But you don't understand the level of scrutiny that and, and precision that these, these athletes have to go through in order to perform at their best at the Olympics. And how much, again, we go back to the stifling, stifling of all of that emotion, of all of that, you know, they power through the pain. That is an everyday thing for them. So it's it's only, what, real that they power through their emotional pain. And it was good that she did what she did. Hopefully she can be an example to other people that you should talk about and step out and be upfront with what it is that's going on with you. You know, I mean, Barbara and, and Florida uh, mentioned the social media. Um, if, if more people focused on the positive on social media, some of this would go away. I don't know what this means, what she said. I hope that she'll well, hit I mean, back Well, I mean, she's just making, like, a comment, like, you know, if people would just focus on the positives of the story as opposed to digging apart the negatives, that society would be a better place. I agree with that. But the problem is, is that it's too easy to focus on the negative. I, I always do this exercise when I'm teaching a, parent, a parenting class because, Focusing on negative is so easy. Focusing on positive actually takes time. I ask people to close their eyes and focus on something positive, something positive that happened today. And I, I see a few smiles. It takes a few minutes, and that's good. But then I say, okay, now let's think about something negative that happened today. Almost immediately, almost immediately, there's groans, there's grunts, there's, oh, my God, it's so easy because negative is in your face. Negative, everybody can identify with. And so when people feel entitled, like, for instance, um, well, she didn't go through what I went through. I went through full-fledged rape. Well, okay, it doesn't make her trauma any less than yours just because what happened to you may have been physically more assertive. Trauma hits people on different levels. Depression hits people on different levels. And when you have people that are holding you accountable for your actions, like your team is counting on you to be 100% and you're not, what do you do? Isn't it the honorable to bow out? I mean, I'm with that. Something to be said with Barbara said and, and what you're you're pointing out. I mean, on your show and even in uh, our conversations, either via tech or call. Hell, I called you last week. You were doing a exercise class or something. I mean, all you, you it's all positive vibes. And, you know, we don't know how people are in their private times all the time, but it, you exude the positive. And, and, and that's the point she's making as well. So it, how much of the, the negative of plays a part 
and the message you and other therapists and we're, you know the topic is is athletes they're trying to tell their story to bring forth people to to get help or or talk to someone how much is the negative and the the fake news that term because you know social media could be our best friend it could be our worst enemy if if you don't do the research and like you said positive is easy um the getting the, the i mean negative is easy to, to to follow positive takes some work um to to believe something positive so how much of the fake news and, and some of that negative uh, spin out there uh, sort of blocks what you're trying to do in terms of helping your 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 clients, your patients, and, and athletes coming out to talk about their stories. Well, I try to tell my kiddos um, and my, um, my clients to, honestly, I don't look at the news. I do not look at the news. The majority of it I get from social media, and I will click on an article that I want to read if I'm interested in it. And the reason why I don't do that is because the news um, and a lot of these social media platforms, um, especially the ones that you can just roll on and it just plays, are designed to feed your fear. They're designed to feed your um, hatred. They're designed to get you hooked in emotionally. And, again, we just talked about it. The easiest way to get you hooked in emotionally is to talk about something negative, something that somebody is scared of. And immediately somebody's hooked in. Oh, what's going on? Yeah, fear, hativity, that breeds. It breeds, and that's how they get you hooked in. And unfortunately, to catch ratings or to, for whatever reason, to get you to click on their website, that's how they do it. Now, for me, I always tell my kiddos and, and um, my um, my clients, you want to be careful of those people that openly choose positivity and happiness. Most of us that openly choose to live our life positive and openly choose to live our life in a happy manner have been through hell. And we got there, we got to this positive place by openly choosing to be happy, to choose the positive over the negative. And it does not happen overnight. It is a continuous battle. Because, And I talk about um, this with my kids. There is a, there's a, a continuum, like a circle. Um, and I feel like everybody wakes up at different points on the circle. So if you're having a positive self-esteem day, you wake up on a, on the far side of the circle, and that's good. But there are going to be days you wake up on a, on the other side of the circle where you're not feeling so hot. It is going to happen. It always happens, and it's unfortunate. And those are the days that you have to openly choose positivity. You have to openly choose to make yourself feel better and openly choose to um, – Treat yourself just a little better before you go into anything else. Because when you, those people who have been through hell, like myself, um, get into that negative spiral, it can be devastating and damaging for everyone around them. So that is why they openly choose positivity in all of these things. Well, just to follow up with that, um, you know, Jerry said, um, you know, the reason why um, reality TV works is because people want to see, you know, people having issues like they have. And, and he brought up NASCAR crashes and stuff. And he's actually right. NASCAR, people watch NASCAR a lot. Uh, the, the numbers show not for the race, but for the crashes. They want to see destruction wow. and, and negative <laughs> and stuff, uh, which is crazy. But, they, I mean, the, the, the stats don't lie. Um, but just to follow what you said, I mean, take, for instance, if, 
if you're going to be, you mentioned being careful about people who are just taking all the positive. I mean, then how do you decipher between, you know, the the good and the bad in those those instances? You know, case in point, you may have a, a pastor that, you know, teaches, you know, revelation. If you know the scriptures, you know, doom and gloom, going to hell, burning to hell, that kind of thing. Or, or a guy like Joel Osteen that talks about God's love all the time. So, I mean, what do you choose? You choose the person that's going to be like, well, if you don't do this, you're going to get this. Or you choose the other one saying, well, everything's lovely if you just do this. I mean, it, it, as it relates to getting that message out, how do you decipher that? Ooh, okay. So... I always try to tell people to remain within balance. And you kind of uh, misunderstood what I was saying about those of us that choose positivity. When I say we choose positivity, we have the tendency to go off. We could go off, but we choose positivity. I'm talking about those people. Now, there is a trait called toxic positivity, (laughs) but those people use it in a very different manner, okay? So let's go back to your question. Your question was how do you – when you're feeding yourself, when you're you're going into your religious practice or your spiritual practice, what is best for you? And I would always go back to that your spirit knows better than you can ever know. So if it feels right within your spirit, what it is that you're doing, if it feels right within your spirit, what it is that you're hearing, if it brings you joy, if it makes you feel good, then continue doing that. Do not ever go to a space where when you go, and you're supposed to be getting fed when you're doing religious work, if you're going to a space where um, you feel fearful, or like I better do this, or I better repent, or I you feel fearful, or you feel like, you know, you're not doing the right thing and it doesn't feel good within your spirit and you don't feel like you're in a positive space, that is not a space for you to be in because what we know for sure is what we feel passionate about, we're bringing more of that to us. So be in a space, trust your intuition. If you feel good in your space at the moment, and I don't mean copping out and drugs and alcohol, all that. I mean, if you genuinely feel good in a space, there's laughter, there's joy, you feel genuinely happy about what's going on, then that is the space that you need to be in, okay? Mm. That, that's what I would say about that. And, and thanks for the clar- clarification. We're talking with Yanni Knox, a licensed therapist and host of A Dose of a Dime. Uh, we'll allow her at the end to get into her practice and, and about her show even more. So the, the beginning of this whole interview and conversation was about athletes coming out like Simone did and others using their voice for good, uh, even mm-hmm. if it, it doesn't look good and feel good even in cases, and knowing they're going to get blowback, uh, LeBron James or others that may come out in different platforms or different issues, um, for the sake of the public and the public to, to learn that it's okay to, to talk about this and seek, you know, conversations. Um, with all that being said, how impactful, if any, these powerful athletes that have these millions of followers on Twitter and all these other places, how much of their voice really makes a change, can make a change, and having people feel comfortable in their space, like you said, um, to talk about their illness, their stress, whatever they're going through, uh, to, to, to get that help? 
Well, I applaud people that stand on their platform and they use it for the good of the people. I, I applaud that in every way, shape, or form. And for those people who might be experiencing what's going on with them, they normalize it. So not just I'm getting abused, but it looks like, oh, my God, LeBron James got abused as well, too. So, okay, so I'm not an evil person. Because that's what happens when you go into these situations with these people that have been abused or they've been traumatized. They believe that they deserve it because of whatever it is they did. They were born evil. They were this. They were that. When somebody uses their platform to say, no, no, you are okay. We, you know, it is okay to say this happened and it is okay to go get help. They normalize it for those people who may be struggling, and I am 100% for that type of behavior. However, because everybody has an opinion, because everybody has, you know, um, uh, not everybody's going to agree, and, of course, because some people are abusers, they're going to disagree, and there will always be lashback. It doesn't matter how how positive um, the speaker is or how positive the message is, it's not happy with it. And unfortunately, you're just going to have to overlook them and keep pushing forward and pushing the positive message because somebody needs to hear that. And I'm, I applaud anybody that uses their platform to do that. And, Tom, uh, speaking of someone's always going to have something to say, Tom writes in and says he, he um, understands that Simone was abused in college by the college coach, but um, could this just be her just being tired? And, I, you know, I, but you can't really get into uh, Yoni, you can't get into a person's head. If she's saying she's mentally uh-huh. fatigued or stressed, isn't that what it is? That you got to take the person for, you know, their word is bond. Yeah, uh, anxiety affects everybody differently. Uh, it is it is a ugly, ugly thing. And a little bit of self-disclosure, uh, I had a situation where one of my abusers attacked, you know, uh, contacted me the other day, and it did not affect me until two days afterwards, and my chest felt like it was ready to explode. Even though I know how to do my coping skills, and I'm very effective at it, and I'm very good at choosing happiness, it's uh, anxiety, stress, Tension, trauma affects everybody differently. And I'm a pro at it. Not a pro. That's not true. We're not going to do that. But I have worked my coping skills to the point where I know when I'm okay and I know when I'm not. And so me me saying that, oh, my God, I feel this tension in my chest. And even I related it to one of the clients I was seeing at the time. Hey, let's breathe together because I'm having a hard time. We don't know what that girl is going through. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. We don't know exactly what's going on. We may she may see the bar and see her abuser. We don't know. Right. We may, she may do a flip and she may hear his voice or I don't know whatever the trainer there was, their voice in her head, and that might and, make and her falter. Yeah, you only she. I mean, for God's sake, she said she forgot where she was when she was in the air. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. What's that's the thing. Now. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's. I mean, she could have injured herself drastically. Oof. Okay. So yes, a hundred percent. What you said. And even um, if she was tired, doesn't she afford it? That. I know. That's. The, I mean, she's given all, you know, of her life and being abused, like you said, different, and and then did, did she handled it. We don't know behind the scenes what she's going through. She's right. just telling you, hey, I need to take a break. It's bad timing for you sports fanatics, but, hey, I need to take a break for a minute. 
and that's you know that's her right as as her herself her person um so what are some of the signs to um to look for i know you this is sort of general but if you can give some some type of thing you know it's almost like when people i i had a uh you know, a family member that started off smoking cigarettes, then he went to marijuana, then he went to cocaine. Next thing you know, he's doing angel dust. So he graduated, right? So are there signs that you start off, you're just tired all the time, you're sleeping? What are some of the signs that um, you want to avoid so you won't get to some place where it's very, you know, almost fatal for you? Um, so with general depression, absolutely, you want to look for um it's called hypersomnia. It's where you sleep a long times, like eight to nine hours, and you're still tired when you get up. That's one of the things. It's um, avoiding contact, isolating yourself. Like you have good friends, you just don't want to talk to them right now. Um, it is um, absolutely abusing um, substances, um, but Sometimes you have to be careful with that one because if the person has addiction in their family, that can also be a heredity thing. Um, so definitely those are some warning signs to watch for. Um, everything seems like it's it doesn't matter. It's never going to turn out right. When you see somebody taking that type of attitude, you want to check in with them. Like you say, hey, well, we can go here. It'll be okay. No, they're probably going to mess it up. When they have that negative mindset, you want to check in with them. When they're oversleeping a lot and they're still not, you know, they're still not um, rested enough, then you definitely want to check in them. Overeating and or not eating enough. It could be either one of those. Overeating, eating your emotions, that is definitely a sign, a telltale sign of a, of a depression. And also not eating enough, that's also a telltale sign of depression. So for anxiety, which is what a lot of us um, survivors suffer from, you want to watch for um Spiraling thoughts. Now, this is something that normally only the person can tell you that they're going through. Um, they will talk themselves into a frenzy. They will overthink, overworry, and it'll go into a circle. Um, their thoughts will start racing. They they can't even get a hold of one without thinking about something else. Everything is negative. Again, back to that. Um, let's see. Um, breaking out in sweats, and they don't know why. Random triggers. Oof. There's a lot of things when it comes to anxiety. Anxiety is so tricky. And, and you talked about two, some of those. two two things you talked about that kind of can be misconstrued, and and um, I don't want to, you know, beleaguer it, but um, you mentioned with uh, the fact that if they have um, they're abusing some form of substance, I told you about a family member or alcohol or whatever the case may be. Um, mm -hmm. that that might be hereditary. So how do people decipher? I guess they need to see someone, a professional like yourself, to determine that. And also, you know, sweats. Um, I know um, my sister went through menopause, and she would break out in sweats and stuff. So, well, again, okay. so that's something you have to kind of look at that. <laughs> so the first <laughs> thing when you're dealing with when a therapist, when you go see a therapist, they're going to ask you, you know, medically, have you been checked out? If it's something that could be caused by, I mean, most of us have been very well versed in getting yourself checked out medically before you come see a therapist or come see a, or come see a psychiatrist because we want to make sure we want to eliminate anything that might be. Um, and like I said, this is not for you, and I always say this in my show, this is not for you to go diagnose anybody. Please do not be like, well, you got depression. Don't do that. 
okay, because <laughs> you're going to end up in a fight. Uh, what you can do is say, hey, sis, I noticed that you're sleeping a lot and you're not eating anything and you don't ever go out anymore. Are you okay? Can I check in with you? What's been going on? How's, you know, and, and check in all around the, I call them, I, I call them hitting all the bases. What's going on in school? What's going on at work? What's going on with your family? What's going on with your relationships? What's going on with your friends? Hit all of the, you want to make sure you hit all of the bases so that you can hear everything and, and you two together can decipher, oh, okay, it sounds like you got, you're having a hard time with this. Let's go talk to somebody or, I mean, there are tons of wonderful things that you can do online. I, I do know that seeing a therapist is expensive, but there are things that you can you can go online and, and uh, see people. And also the Medicare Act was passed um, so that hopefully that there are people that are able to go see a therapist now. I, I, I do therapy over everything. I love therapy because you, you get to talk and you, you get to work out in your head how you can change the narrative about things that have happened in the past, and it makes you feel better about things. And that's why I love therapy. But we're, I'm on the soapbox, so let me get off. Well, the, the, you always, every time you come on, and uh, myself included in the audience, we always feel good about ourselves when you leave. So I want you to take the time out to talk about your your practice and how people can reach out, your, your social media and your show. Of course, you, you have the floor. Take all, all the time you need. Okay. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I am a licensed um Masters of Social Work, and I have a show called A Dose of the Dime, and what we do is we talk about relationship issues. Like right now, uh, like tomorrow, we're going to wrap up on narcissists and gaslighting. So a lot of people are not quite sure exactly what that is. They've heard these $10 catchphrases. Oh, he's a narcissist. Oh, my God, this is toxic. Oh, they're gaslighting me. And I want to break it down so that if you are being gaslighted, you at least have these weapons in your arsenal so that you know what to do and that you can move forward. So my goal is to create better relationships for our people, um, for you, for, you know, and whoever else that you have are listening to us. So you can always reach me um, at www.thedjdime.com. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm also on Pinterest and Twitter. I don't do much on Twitter, but anyway. And I'm also on YouTube, but you guys can check me out. And, of, of course, every Friday at, uh, what is it, at 930 uh, Eastern Standard Time, I do a dose of the dime, but of course that is uh, 8.30 Central Standard Time. So you guys are welcome to come check me out. If you know, I do have a Facebook group that is open to the public. It is called A Dose of the Dime Radio Show, and on there we just talk about relationships, and sometimes I will take from the post that we post, and I put it on a radio show. And I also go on live when I go on the radio, so you guys can see me while I, you know, chop this up. But if you guys ever have questions, comments, concerns, or you want to pose a topic, I'm open and receptive to it. So please hit me up. You got the numbers. Me, make it happen. Got to bring up the central time. You know, you just got to bring the central time, I, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we're, it's Connecticut central, time. It's central, we're it's, Connecticut. It's central. It's central to the heart of the program, sir. Um, <laughs> he wasn't ready. <laughs> she is a joy to have. Boy, I tell you, she uh, um, just is it, her, her conversation is impactful, and she, she definitely knows what she talks about. And and please do check out her 
her Facebook page, but also do check out the show. Uh, airs Friday mornings, 9.30 Eastern Time, A Dose of the Dime with Yanni, and, um, uh, of course, after Locker Talk with, with Barry Barnes. And you can listen to the show at thebachelornews.airtime.pro or at uh, 646-929-0130. And, of course, on her Facebook page, you can see her there live. Yanni, I appreciate you. Be careful. God bless. I will talk with you tomorrow morning. All right, peace and blessings, people. Have a wonderful one, and be a blessing to somebody today. Absolutely. Sometimes we fall in Welcome back to the show. It is the Bassa News Radio Show on the Bassa News Radio Network and our sister station, WCOM in Chapel Hill and, of course, WCLM in Richmond, Virginia now. We thank those affiliates for carrying uh, this broadcast. want to go to the phone, bring in my guest. He is the Senior mm-hmm. Policy Program Manager at the Urban Institute. He is Zach Boren, and Mr. Boren, it's a pleasure for you to come on. And listen, I appreciate so much your patience on the line, sir. Hi, L.A. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate being on the show and uh, getting the, a chance to talk to you about, uh, about apprenticeships tonight. Absolutely. So um, first question to you is, is what is uh, Apprenticeship 2000? Yeah, Apprenticeship 2000, uh, it is a model for developing youth apprenticeships um, in North Carolina. It's an employer consortium model. Um, It was created in 1995 by four employers. Uh, Ameritech Dye and Mold was an American company. Uh, Blum, an an Austrian company. Detweiler, a Swiss company. And Sarstedt, a German company. And what they did together is they transformed from being competitors in business to being collaborators to address talent shortages in the Charlotte area that they're really facing in manufacturing. Uh, for the employers, you know, it's a really great cost-effective model for, for recruiting young talent um, into their organizations to become mechatronics techs and uh, CNC operators and dye and mold um, operators as well. It's an enduring talent development strategy that they that they developed, and for the apprentices, it really offers this rigorous, high quality apprenticeship pathway that starts with uh, education in high school and culminates in receiving uh, a degree, an associate's degree, from a local community college um, in mechatronics and receiving your certificate. Um, showing that you are proficient as a mechatronics tech. It's just a really, really exciting model, an enduring one. It's a, as far as we're concerned, it's the, uh, the longest-lasting youth apprenticeship model that we've found in the United States. So it's a win-win-win for all the partners involved, high schools, employers, colleges, uh, the apprentices, and really the state overall economically uh, benefits from having more people in good jobs. You know, 
one of the things in in, in reading uh, on this and and what you're you're you just expressed is the fact that you know and I think this is uh, through the Department of Labor um, is that this country kind of gets away or got away from um, apprenticeships. Uh, especially in a sense that it is a win-win. Now it seems like corporate America is more about, um, you know, that uh, that bottom line rather than doing it the way that we grew up, where you you learn the trade, you learn something, a craft in high school, you you took on um, uh, a uh, apprenticeship at a uh, a, a local company, you work your way through up. By the time you graduated from college, you had a job. Now it seems like companies don't want to work together to do that. It seems like we've gotten away from that. And I think economically and, and the country as a whole in terms of how we we uh, uh, look at labor and look at people who work, who have to do the work. Some people do the grunt work. Some people are, you know, the upper uh, management We've gotten away from that, and I think that's really hurt the country. What's your thoughts? You know, I think uh, apprenticeship is really, you know, we've seen a big downside, especially in the, in the Great Recession for apprenticeships. They slid all the way down to only about 375,000 apprenticeships across the country. And now we're talking about a boom in apprenticeships. What we've seen is... Um, about a 200% gain um, since the Great Recession wow. in apprenticeships. Um, and we're seeing it all over the country. You know, and not only are we seeing apprenticeships grow in the traditional trades, um, but we're seeing them grow in places that we don't expect them anymore, or we don't expect them to be. So you know, here at Urban Institute, we are uh, an apprenticeship intermediary. So we're helping companies uh, you know, like some some big tech firms like Google, uh, start some of their uh, first you know apprenticeship programs they've met, that they previously didn't have um, to do software development to to think about how do we train um, our IT specialists. So you know what what we're really looking at is that overall across the country because of the investment that the government is now making in apprenticeship. Uh, it's really a rebirth, and, and we're excited to be a part of it here at Urban. We took a look at um, Apprenticeship 2000, which is an example of this apprenticeship consortia of, you know, four, uh, five, now six, seven, eight companies all coming together in the Charlotte area. That model has now expanded all over the state. So now we're looking at about 25 uh, youth apprenticeship consortia across the state, companies working with other companies to bring young people into these really good jobs like mechatronics, but also in healthcare and IT and in manufacturing. Um, and a lot of the jobs that, you know, used to require a four-year degree and what companies are saying to us now is we can't really find the talent that we're looking for uh, from some of the community colleges from some of the four years. What we really need to do now is to grow our own. And I think this is a realization of, of really what's happened in the labor market. We have about 7 million open jobs. Um, even, even despite the pandemic, we have really skilled labor that needs to be filled and companies are, are stepping up to the plate with apprenticeship and figuring out how to 
uh, develop these programs really develop young people um, into their 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 into their talent pipeline. Mm. If you're just joining us, we'll talk with Zach Boren. He's the senior policy program uh, manager at the Urban Institute, talking about apprentice apprenticeships here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Is are some of the jobs, some of the apprenticeships, um, with some of these companies sort of antiquated? Is it based on the the, the state, the city, in terms of where you place these young people? I mean, I know manufacturing was, you know, big in Carolina. I don't know. I don't know the numbers if it's down or up, but you know, RTP is 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 grown uh, with tech jobs. You talk about Charlotte. So, is are some of these type of kind of outdated, and some of these companies need to redevelop themselves, or are you still finding um, places where you could place this young, this young great minds? Oh, really? I mean, I, I find apprenticeship to be more cutting edge and more industry-led than anything um, than, than what we see before. We have to see that, you know, if you're going to place someone into an apprenticeship, you really have to train them with 21st century skills in, in order to, to stay competitive. We see this, you know, really, you know, not just here in the United States, but with our competitors like Germany and Switzerland and the UK, they are all using apprenticeships to their advantage uh, with some of the biggest corporations um, to, stay, to stay competitive and to, to really um, develop their, their talent pipeline for jobs that are really hard to fill. So with Apprenticeship 2000, we're talking about this occupation called mechatronics. So it's really kind of thinking about electronics with mechanical engineering that we're combining into a four-year apprenticeship that really leads up, can lead up to an engineering degree. So we're talking about really, really cutting edge um, type, types of occupations where some of the machines they're working on are working on a split of a second to, to create a part. And those workers, these young workers, like we met Jordan um, at, at, uh, at um, Apprenticeship 2000, she is really thinking about how do I um, ensure that the machine I'm working on, this really high-tech machine, is going to turn out a product and a profit for her company called Blum. Um, and they're, you know, they're a multinational company, um, and they're located in the Charlotte area. And we find that across, you know, across North Carolina, we're seeing there are really fewer people working in, in manufacturing, but they're working in higher level, higher, um, higher skill jobs. And that's why we're really seeing companies turn to apprenticeship is because they need to develop their own because uh, these jobs have become really complicated and the talent that's coming out of the colleges um, is really not meeting the demand that, uh, that they need. So what is the... Um apprenticeship uh, consortium how does that differ from other types of uh, apprenticeship programs yeah it actually offers a lot of advantages i mean most most folks really think about apprenticeships they think you know possibly union um maybe in construction like uh, like welders um you know we're going to have uh, we're going to bring in uh, carpenters, electricians, HVAC techs, plumbers, you know, all these great occupations that, that people do 
generally in the trades, a lot of times with, with unions, maybe not so much in North Carolina since it's a low union-based state, but, you know, across the Northeast and across the Midwest, um, union apprenticeship is still really strong. Um, and, but we're, what we're seeing in North Carolina is something a little bit different where companies are coming together to figure out uh, the skill gap together. And it has a couple of advantages. It's first, you know, for a small company, they may only need one or two apprentices. So it's, it's right. you know, can be cost prohibitive to bring in, um, you know, an apprentice. Some apprenticeship programs are spending as much as, um, you know, uh, as much as a, a quarter of a million dollars on training an apprentice. Um, Siemens is a great example of this, who's spending that amount, including their wages, to really create, um, you know, this really high caliber worker. If you're a small company, you're not going to be able to necessarily be able to front all that cost. So there's really shared resources. They go out and they recruit together. So Apprenticeship 2000 said, we four, five, six small companies, we're going to go out and recruit the best talent from, from local high schools. So we're not just being Detweiler and Ameritech Mold. We're Apprenticeship 2000, and we're creating this really uh, high caliber reputation for our apprenticeship program. And so they're really, what this consortium model does is it offers them, you know, a collective identity and credibility with the schools. I was going to ask, Sue, what are some of the, the downfall, well, not downfalls, but uh, some of the, the, the problems some of the programs face or some of the apprentices actually face? My nephew, I'm from Connecticut, you know, he's an electrician. And he was really frustrated. He, I mean, you have to. You got to. You can't uh, wire somebody's house and it burns down. So you have to have those times. It took him three years to get through everything. So do you see any of that frustration? Some of the programs that may have some bumps in the road. Yeah, certainly there are some some challenges in getting you know an apprenticeship program off the road uh, or off the ground. You also um, see where you know not every apprentice you bring on is going to turn out to be you know your professional electrician, your professional software developer. You're going to lose some along the way, and that's that's some of the that cost benefit that that um, is a trade off with doing an apprenticeship program. But overall, we see apprentices doing really well. They're really loyal. Uh, 94% of uh, apprentices who uh, complete in the uh, program are employed and often stay with their company. So there's this real return on investment. Um, We find in a study of South Carolina, uh, the University of South Carolina has found that the return on investment is really high for employers that that start an apprenticeship program. it's a dollar twenty-six for every dollar they invest. But along the way, you know, for for apprentices, you know, there is a challenge. You know, you're going to be starting at a little bit of a lower wage, um, but ultimately, you're going to reach that. You're going to reach middle-class wages much faster than you will, um, you know, going for a, a four-year degree. I mean, what we find is that apprentices are actually doing much better economically. They earn about $70,000 on average a year when they complete their apprenticeship program in comparison to their college counterparts who are only earning between fifty and 60000 a year. If you're just joining us, we talk with Zach Boren, a, a senior policy program manager at the Urban Institute here on the Bassett News Radio Show. 
Jack, I did get some questions, um, and one of which was going to be a question of mine. As a African-American uh, father with two sons, one says he wants to be a, a, a web developer, but, you know, kids change their minds. The other one's in high school. He really doesn't know. He's athletic. He likes history. So we don't know. But my question is, how much of a reach is the Urban Institute doing with this program and and communities of colors, maybe historically black colleges? I know you mentioned South Carolina. There's South Carolina State there. How much of a reach goes out to those um, that, you know, in, in these urban areas that um, might have some, some young talent that uh, can help some companies? Yeah, um, absolutely right. We are really reaching out to – uh, the black community to, to other communities of color. It's really important that we, um, you know, make sure that apprenticeship works for, for everyone. Um, you know, in particular, we're working with South Carolina State, for example, to, to start one of their first um, apprenticeship programs in tech. So I don't want to get ahead too far ahead of their announcement, but, you know, we're, we're excited to work with some of the HBCUs to to really um, engage them in this model that can be so effective for people who, who are really looking to get attached to work um, and attached to really good jobs, um, especially in the tech industry. You talk about web developers. We see this as a key place where, where a young person, instead of having to go and spend 100 or 200K at, at a college to be able to, to get into that field, they can potentially go do apprenticeship um, and get directly in. So companies like IBM, you know, Microsoft, Google, um, some of the biggest tech firms, um, and even some some small firms. You know, we were working, um, for example, with a small one-person black-owned shop in in Tampa that uh, to develop their first apprenticeship program. Their first hire was going to be an apprentice. So we think it's it's a, a tremendously good opportunity for for a lot of people to get into a variety of different jobs there's about there's about over there's over a thousand occupations to choose from this is so fascinating i just got a few more questions if you if you can hang that i'd I'd appreciate that i know we ran a little late um the uh, what about the criteria um for the company to get involved with apprentice apprenticeship 2000 with you guys um and what what do the kids need to do uh, in high school, or what are you looking for, or, or do they reach out? How does it actually? How do they actually connect both the kids and the uh, companies? Yeah, so for for companies, it's really about taking a look and seeing what type of talent you have, you know, um, in your in your current company, and seeing really where it's hard to to either keep talent. Um, to retain them into jobs or places where you really have a hard time recruiting um, from from other places. I mean, I'll tell you, a lot of companies are telling me they can't poach talent anymore. They really need to. They really need to figure out how to create your own. Before, if you needed a welder, you could poach it from you know down the road uh, from from you know local you know another local uh, welding company. That's not the case anymore. Um, the talent is really not there, and we need to figure out how to grow it. So what a lot of companies do is they come to a place like Urban Institute. We help design um, an apprenticeship program for them. Um, 
figuring out what, what occupations they really want to design. So we do the on-the-job training um, design with them, and then we connect them with, a, with an instruction provider. So that can be um, a local community college, for example, or even a high school. Um, so what we do is basically we design the program, and then we have it recognized by the North Carolina um, Department of Community Colleges that recognizes um, uh, apprenticeships across the state. So there's like 12,000 uh, people who are doing apprenticeships today in North Carolina. Um, and if you're a young person and you're interested uh, in finding out, you know, where, where can I find an apprenticeship? Um, there's a great website. It's run by the U.S. Department of Labor. It's called apprenticeship.gov. And you can go to apprenticeship.gov. There's lots of resources you can see. What are the types of jobs that companies are really uh, hiring for today? And then you can actually uh, put in your zip code and find out if there's an apprenticeship near you uh, to be able to apply for one. Um, and that's one of the best ways to do it. Um, the other way is to call the, the, call the North Carolina Department of Community Colleges and find out um, what apprenticeship programs they have all across the state, get connected to one of those local employers. Wow, that that's that's awesome. Of course, uh, this is this is all a business and personal information for me, uh, and I, and that's why I certainly appreciate this. Two two quick questions. Talk about some of the success stories. I know you mentioned one person, but uh, you can elaborate on that if you will. And you mentioned the pandemic. I I can't imagine, but you guys have done it. Um, how you maintain your stability in this once-in-a-lifetime pandemic that we have? You know, it's certainly been a challenge. Um, I'll start off talking about some of the success stories. One of the success stories is during the pandemic. Um, we met um, Chris Stone. Um, he was uh, a former apprentice we interviewed in the case study. Uh, you can find it on urban.org if you want to take a read of what Apprenticeship 2000 is and jump in a little bit deeper. He started his apprenticeship program when he was 16, and uh, he had a 4.0 GPA. Felt like college just wasn't right for him. Since then, he's, he's graduated. He's employed at Blum in the Charlotte area where he did his apprenticeship. Uh, really, looking back when, when he talks to us about his apprenticeship, he feel like, feels like he was really further ahead than his peer group. At 16, he was working with colleagues who were in their 40s and 50s. He said he learned so quickly to show them respect and really how to work with older people. And he learned also how to make great presentations and time management. And very importantly, he learned how to talk to customers. So along with some of those technical skills that he learned in becoming a mechatronics tech, Chris also learned that uh, some of those essential soft skills uh, he needed to be successful um, in, in a professional setting. Uh, Chris was able to buy his first house Right out, of his, right out of his program, so we're talking about age 21 or 22, he had no college debt and already had four years of paid work under his belt. I'll tell you, I met another, uh, another guy at uh, Meritech Dye and Mold while I was down there in, in, in Mooresville a few years ago, and this young man was age 22, was buying his second house out of debt, no, no college debt whatsoever, and getting married at the same time. I mean, compare that to what a lot of young people are facing after they finish college. They might be on your, they might be on your couch, 
They might be on grandma's couch. <laughs> they, they may not even be employed. And so this is just such a difference economically on what, what people are able to do. We met a fourth year apprentice during the pandemic that was really able to support uh, his whole family. Uh, his whole family were, were in other industries. Um, they all lost their, their employment um, and he kept his employment um, as an apprentice. Uh, with Apprenticeship 2000, was it really able to support his family uh, through a period of time where they did not have enough money to put food on the table or cover rent? Um, what we find is that apprenticeship is really a more stable field than what most teenagers get into, like hospitality um, and other low-wage minimum jobs. But these are really higher-level wages and higher-level opportunities that come along with them. You know, the final question for you came from Kim um, in uh, Raleigh, actually, and she asked, what are some of the biggest challenges that uh, Apprentice 2000 um, faced in the beginning and now? Um, and she also asked, uh, was it um, tough to get some of the bigger corporations? I know you mentioned Google and IBM. To, to kind of sign on and, and get on board with this, to, to, to forget about the profits, just come together as, as companies and, and, and do the right thing. Yeah, so Apprenticeship 2000, I, you know, when we talk, to, we talk to all the managers who are currently leading that, that effort, and really the tougher part was really about getting to a collective vision. Um, that was some of the challenge in getting other companies to, to come on. They're really running a, a high-quality apprenticeship program, so this is a program that takes four years to get your, at the end of the day, your professional who completes it. So there's, there's some cost that goes along with this. There's, you know, kind of this long-term vision. And if you're a company that really needs your talent tomorrow, um, you know, apprenticeship 2000, uh, an apprenticeship program isn't going to be able to deliver that in a matter of weeks. It's really thinking about a long-term vision. Where, where do we want to take our company in five years, in 10 years? It's really kind of changing that mindset that a lot of Americans are in, this kind of short-termism of we need to make profit for next, next week or next quarter, next year, into we need a strategy for developing our company 10 years from now. And so I think that's really the challenge is kind of changing that mindset of American business to really think about a, a longer-term trajectory for where they want to go. Great point. Um, before you go, let people know, I know it's urban.org, but uh, please do give out all the information. I thank you for coming on. This has been uh, worth the time, and certainly I, I'd love to have you back to talk some more about it. But if you can give out your information, that uh, we appreciate it. L.A., I would always be glad to come back and um, come visit. Um, yeah, absolutely. You can come to uh, urban.org or urban.org splash backslash YA uh, for youth apprenticeship. Um, that's our youth apprenticeship website. And you can come find all the su success stories from our apprentices and from our companies there. And feel free to hit me up on Twitter. And what's your Twitter handle? I'm Zach underscore Boren. Okay. Zach, uh, listen, I appreciate the time. Like I said, this was information for um, our audience, uh, there are a lot of parents out there and, and, you know, with everything that's been going on in the climate and 
worrying about this talent and this talent, you know, young minds still trying to figure things out. This is definitely a great thing. It's very refreshing, very informative. And I think, like you said, in the beginning of this interview, it's a win-win-win. I mean, everybody wins with this apprenticeship. And, and I thank you so much. I, I, I'll reschedule with you again. And you be well. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, IBM TV, WCOM in Chapel Hill, WCLM in Richmond, Virginia, and the Big Mind Entertainment where you can see the actual show on on the video on uh, uh, Amazon TV. That'd be Roku and Fire Stick. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us as always, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Press 1 and get online chat room. On Blog Talk is open, and of course you can listen live on delay because you know it's on internet, seven second delay, at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. T H E B A T C H E L O R news.airtime.pro. We thank you for joining us, and thank uh, for joining us. Of course, always good to have my brother from another mother. And of course, uh, he is the voice of KRSB Radio, and he's the owner of KRSB Radio in the good city of Philadelphia. He is Orlando Hughes, and Big O, I appreciate you, my man. It's always good to have you back in the fold to get your insight, my man. Good to hear from you, man, always. Always. Listen, real quick, um, before I kind of go to the NFL and T-Mac will join us uh, uh, shortly, um, this incident with the Colorado Rockies with the fan, you know, yelling a racial slur, that part we're used to. That That's what they do. They yell racial slurs and they get banned or don't get banned or they apologize or whatever the case may be. This dude was yelling at the the Rock Rockies um, mascot the club's purple polka-dotted dinosaur mascot. But here's the sad and offensive thing about it, Oh, The mascot is a dinosaur. So he's yelling, saying the nigger to a dinosaur, a person dressed up in a dinosaur. So have we reached an all-time low in the climate that we are, that this dude is actually trying to get the attention of a mascot and then saying dinosaur or, hey, Rocky or whatever they call it, he's using the N-word. No, we have reached the all-time. Nothing, nothing's worse about society now. In fact, we have cameras. We have better microphones. We're catching people um, in their normal activities. Um like we're still fighting the same fight that our great grandparents are fighting in this country and and this world for that matter. So we're we're just catching people because we have technology that's allowed us to catch people. But um, one one Jack A ignorance. Uh, I won't even get any attention. I mean, you're calling a, a dinosaur that? Oh, well, that's that's something that that's in that person's vernacular. Um, you ban him, and there come here comes ten others. It's like uh, it's like a um, a Greek mythological creature. You cut off one head, and five others will rise. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that. I mean, really, it, that that really you, you pointed out that that's what it is. Uh, it's in their vernacular, so they're gonna use that. It could have been. Uh, a dog or anything, and they would have called it whatever they wanted to call it at the time. Um, 
and it's sad, but you know that that uh, that struggle will continue. But I just I just thought it was laughable in the sense that they tried to make it that the Rockies tried to downplay it, like oh well he was talking about the mascot. He really wasn't talking about a human being, but he really was talking about someone um, uh, a, a slur that's attached to us that really shouldn't be, by the way. But it is what it is. Um, I want to go to the NFL, and you look at the landscape of the league. Uh, Tampa brought back everybody, including A.B. and, I mean, everybody. They're starting 22, for the most part, is back. Uh, and, and they were pretty pretty dominant down the stretch. People can make the case for records and everything, and I would – say the same thing, but it is what it is. So when you look at them, you look at what Kansas City did in terms of Orlando Brown, the the second coming back, uh, you know, I mean, coming in the trade from the Ravens and and them really focusing on the offensive line because Patrick Mahomes was running for his life. We'd never seen that um, in his career. If he was running, he was running by design in terms of running the ball or running to throw off off balance and making a throw. This in the Super Bowl, he was running for real, and and was f- frustrated. So when you look at both these teams, and you look at the um, landscape of all the teams that made moves, including your Eagles, my Steelers, whoever else may may be, are we going to see a rematch in your opinion of Kansas City and Tampa? Um, I will tell you no. We will not see a rematch. Uh, every year, there's a team or teams uh, being more than one to take advantage of the schedule. This is a year where we have the 17th game. Uh, the preseason has been cut down. Um, so this will be a year I do not think we will see both of them. Now, is there a possibility that one of the two gets there? I say that's uh, better than 60% chance that that will happen, but we will not see those two teams. So um, Tom Brady has uh, uh, mystified age and technology, and, and he's defying all of that by his conditioning. But we don't know. 17 games is a lot to put on your body physically. Uh, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs made it to the Super Bowl but they made it to the Super Bowl, and he had no offensive line, and Patrick Mahomes didn't look any different than uh, Nick Foles uh, running around and being scared of everything. So I would say no to that question. When So if, you, if you're saying that the percentage of the if one of them getting there, which one? And, and uh, I mean, oddly enough for me, I'll answer from my standpoint – Tampa's got like the easiest schedule or one of the easiest schedule uh, in the league this year. So uh, having said that, who, if one of them are getting back, who would you say? I'd say Kansas City. Wow. Kansas City. Why why is that? Now, you know, the the, the AFC has improved a lot, though. It is. But I I believe that they're a tested organization. Uh, You have – uh, Patrick Mahomes, you have Andy Reid, they have speed, 
they're balanced. They they worked on their offensive line, and I think that you will see the the Chiefs get back there, uh, as opposed to the Buccaneers. You say that Tampa brought back all 22 of their starters, uh, but let's be honest, like almost was put out, and almost is, you know, uh, we could have been billionaires and millionaires, but we aren't. So um, I, don't, I don't, I don't say it lightly, but I, I just think that Tampa Bay to me is more of a. Um, they were an anomaly last year, so they have to play games against teams. There'll be fans in the crowd this year. That impacts some teams, um, and, and I, I just really think that Tampa, to me, is not going to do it this year. I think they'll be a playoff team, but I don't, I don't think that they're a Super Bowl contender. That's just my opinion. Hmm. Just joining us, we're, we're talking with uh, Orlando Hughes, of course, uh, owner and play-by-play voice for uh, KRSB Radio in uh, Philly on the Bachelor News Radio Show. Let, let's just kind of, if I can get, because you're you're in tune, you you know these these conferences and these teams. I want to get your perspective on East Division if we can run down real quick. And I, let's start with the AFC. We'll start with the East. You know, Josh Allen got a ton of money. Uh, the biggest uh, signing bonus, $150 million. He passed Patrick Mahomes. He passed all these guys uh, in terms of the money. You look at Buffalo, the Dolphins should be improved. I, I know they, they put some weapons around this kid at quarterback. Patriots got their decisions to make, and then the Jets with, you know, with their, their new move at, with, with uh, the, the kid out of BYU. Uh, who wins that division and why? Uh, Buffalo wins that division. They they win that division kind of easily. Um, New England will be battling against Miami. Um, we can never forget uh, what what Belichick is capable of. You get um, Cam Newton back there for another year. Plus they have the kid behind him. They made a few moves. Mac Jones. Uh, Miami. Yeah, Miami. Uh, will be strong again, uh, but now they're going to be playing uh, with some expectations. So I don't know how they're going to be a team that responds to expectations. Last year there were no expectations of them. So I think it'll be Buffalo followed by New England and the Dolphins in a close third, and the Dolphins could possibly finish second. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, Buffalo clearly has the balance on both sides of the ball right now, currently on that roster. So I, I agree with you. And uh, looking at the AFC North, you have the Steelers who won it last year. Obviously, um, that division, the Bengals with uh, a healthier Burrow coming back. The Browns seem the most balanced team. They arguably have the best offensive line in football. And then the Ravens, they they brought some receivers in in the draft. Uh, to try to help Lamar, and that defense, uh, especially that secondary, arguably could be the best in the game. Who wins that division and why? I think we got to go with Baltimore, um, followed by your Steelers, and then the Cleveland Browns will finish fourth. Wow. Um, T-Mac said, that don't sleep on the Bengals. 
But I think that will be the best division in football is the AFC North. I think all the teams have a winning record, but I think it will be Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, then Cleveland. What? So so you're not buying these naysayers, these so-called pundits that say that the Browns take that next step and they win the division and they go deep into the playoffs? You know, I can care less about what the the uh, the Twitter uh, the Twitter feeds and uh, the um, the headline writers and all of this and the dumb pundits. No, I can care less. I'm just looking at it from a football perspective. I, I think Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, then Cleveland. Wow, that that you you that that's. Uh, and let me just ask a follow-up because, you know, I'm obviously Steelers. Can the Steelers make the playoffs as, as not winning the division? Can they get a wild card, you think? Hmm. They'll be in contention for one. Now, whether or not they win one, you know, win one of those wild cards, this 17th game is really going to impact a lot of teams with regards to health. So, the Ravens' style of play, they won't be impacted by the weather. Running game, uh, defense, uh, Steelers still with the running game, although it's not a Steelers running game. Um, you know, we talked about that in years past. Uh, I think your, your team is experimenting too heavily with Big Ben throwing the ball all over the field. That, that's not mm. what won you Super Bowls with your Steelers. Um, the the Bengals have some weapons, um, and they're low key with no expectations. Cleveland has never shown me to be a team that knows how to play with expectations on their shoulders. So I think they falter. And a lot of people are still in a wait and see mode when it comes to you know, that Baker Mayfield in terms of him, if he could put two solid years in a row together to lead them deep into, I really think that's where they go. I mean, they got Nick Chubb and they got a great running game, all great offensive line. They got uh, oodles of wide receivers, guys who can rush the passer, their, their secondary. I mean, they have those players, but really it does come, I would think if they do falter, it's going to go back on, Mayfield, a guy who, like Lamar, is going into this next year where they're looking down at their, their rookie contract, and it's going to be interesting to see who does well and if they can get it there. Tennessee, the Colts, Jacksonville, Houston. Now, um, before uh, some people, I didn't agree, Carson Wentz got hurt. A lot of people, because of the talent that the Colts have on both sides of the ball, Carson can do his thing. A lot of people picking the Colts to win that, the AFC South. The Titans bringing in Julio Jones, Orlando. As you know, you can make a case that it might be good, but he's been injured. So when you look at those teams, Jacksonville with a new coach, a rookie uh, quarterback. Houston is a, a train wreck, so you don't pick them. Who wins the AFC South? Well, <clears throat> this is an easy pick. Um, it will be uh, Tennessee will be the only team representing the, the AFC South in the playoffs. Uh, no one else will be in contention. 
everybody else will be, you think, have a losing record is what you're basically saying? They're absolutely correct. Yeah, I can see that, especially, I mean, I, I was trying to at least initially give Carson the, the benefit of the doubt when he got hurt and they let Jacoby Brissett go, which I thought he should have been a quarterback anyway. This is their curse. Then they're really going to be struggling. And final in the AFC, AFC West, the Broncos are really stud on defense. They can't figure out who's going to be the quarterback. Obviously, you probably pick the Chiefs. But let me ask you this. Is there another team, maybe the Chargers, with uh, Herbert uh, having a second year or Denver being a second team that can get out of that that division and make the playoffs? I think I think the Chargers and I will go with the Raiders um, fighting for a playoff spot. So that's where your Steelers will find their competition. It will be out of the FC West. It will be the Chargers hmm. and it will be the Raiders. Um, the Raiders will have a huge advantage of being able to get their fans in that nice facility that they have out there in Vegas. I think that will be an extreme home advantage for them playing out in that dome. Um, And what we're going to find is that will be one of the more difficult places to play in. The Chargers, what will hurt them is the same thing that I gave the Raiders credit for, is the home field advantage. Will the Chargers sell out that dome out in L.A. uh, and get the fan support behind them? Um, Orlando, how much time do you have? I know T-Mac's on the line. I'm going to go to him in a second. How how much time do you have? Uh, I can give you about five more minutes. Let me go to the Eagles there. Let me go to the NFC East, and I'm going to ask Tony about the uh, NFC and some other specifics uh, uh, when I get him on the line, but uh, NFC specifically, I mean, listen, uh, they've given Jalen some, some, some more weapons on the outside. Uh, you had a new coach in, in town. Uh, the Giants, I say, just like a lot of other teams, they go um, as far as his quarterback goes, if he can play in Daniel Jones. Defense is, is optimistic. They, they put some weapons in place for him. Saquon comes back. We'll see. Washington is loaded. That front seven might be the best in football, arguably, uh, defensively. Um, And then they bring uh, Fitzmagic, which I know T and I are not big fans of. And then, you know, Dallas is loaded offensively. When you look at C.D. Lamb and you look at, you know, hopefully you got a running back comeback who's going to play better. Dak, if he's if he's got that arm strength, he doesn't have that Roethlisberger dead arm type thing because he's been gone type thing. Interesting in the East, uh, realistically and objectively, I know you will pick who wins that division and do you see more than one team come out of these? It could be Washington and Dallas. Washington will win the division. I know you guys aren't a fan of Fitzmagic, but that defense is just rock solid. Um, And I think we're going to see Hollywood Ron Rivera uh, or Riverboat Ron Rivera uh, have a better year this year. Dallas doesn't prove anything to me because of the owner, and you got a flat-out jackass as a head coach. and he never did anything to impress anyone as a head coach. So 
he holds that team back. I don't think Dallas is any better uh, with him than they were with Jason Garrett. I believe Washington will finish fourth, and I think the Eagles surprise everyone and finish third. They won't make the playoffs, but they'll finish third. But Washington hmm. and Dallas will be the two teams that can sit. Will, will Jalen have a good year? Uh, he will have a par season. He won't do anything to impress. Um, he still has ball security issues. Um He's someone that will rally the Eagles uh, for several wins. But when it comes to just running the offense, I don't think Jalen is ready yet. Um, And there's an extreme possibility that he may not even be the quarterback come December. We may be talking about Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun Watson comes to the Eagles, I say the Eagles are pushing for that division title. Deshaun Watson comes to the Eagles. They with them weapons, they got a shot to get to the freaking Super Bowl with that. They they already got pressure on the on the I mean in terms of they got defensive pressure, guys who can get after the quarterback. Uh so you bring in the Deshaun Watson with weapons around him, then yeah, I mean, you know, it depends on the coaching or whatever. Final question, if off the top of your head, who's M V P Who's offensive defensive rookie of the year? If, if off the top of your head, ooh man, you would put me on the spot with the final. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to ask my mother to write a note to class because I can't answer that one right here. So um, expect a note from Mrs. Hughes, um, and you you will have my doctor's note. I'm unable to answer that question. Uh, I do not know L.A. with the most sincerity. I do not know. Uh, wow. I- I'll think about that. I have to text you my answer. Well, listen, as long as your dog don't eat the, the homework or whatever, then you you good. Uh, nah, big no, no dog. No <laughs> dog. But my, my fish, my fish uh, filled the ink on the paper, so I'm unable to decipher what I wrote down. Yeah, okay. See? Okay, well, you better have it ready for next time or you're going to have to write at the chalkboard for a long time. But uh, so look, appreciate listen, you. I never, chalk, I never met a chalkboard that I was afraid of. I was sitting in there and, and written 500 lines. So I'm Catholic school born and bred, so that, that ain't hurting me. <laughs> hey, well, look, care, next time we'll have you on next week. We'll talk some uh, – we'll talk about your – yeah, you're Trojan and talk some more, man. Appreciate you, big O. All right, got you. All right, man. Uh, of course, uh, Orlando Hughes, KRSB Radio, and uh, Philadelphia. We're going to take a uh, a quick break, come back, to, uh, get the T-Mac, get his thoughts on some previews of the NFL, some, some, some teams that might surprise, some teams that might disappoint. Maybe we'll get his MVP if he has it, some offensive defense, and, and really – this is the question early and beginning was the fact that, you know, can Kansas City and Tampa, does he think Kansas City and Tampa is going to get back to the Super Bowl? If not, either one or one of the other. We'll talk some baseball, too. We want to get into that, too, on the, on the, on the show.
back to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to all of our guests. Don't forget, if you miss any part of the broadcast, you can go to our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Follow us on Pad Nation Facebook and on Pad Nation 2. That's Pad Nation number two at Twitter, LA Bachelor Instagram. If you're interested in advertising or want your own show, hit us up at our website. Uh, I should say our email address at labachelor40 at gmail.com, labachelor, bachelor with a T, not batch of cookies, but bachelor40 at gmail.com. Back to the phones, bringing my good friend, longtime friend and colleague, co-host uh, uh, of this show from time to time, of course, and editor-chief of Black Athlete Sports Network, Tony T. Mac McQueen. Mac, I appreciate you coming on, bro. How's it going? Hey man, uh, I I know you heard Big O. We were getting into some of the uh, teams. I want to kind of zoom through the rest of the uh, NFC. And you look at the North. We're all hoping that this kid uh, that's going to be the starter eventually, and Andy Dalton is holding down the fort right now. But you look at Justin Fields; he will be the starter. And you know the the Bears, even in their '85 season. Even with that quarterback, they never really had a bona fide. You go back to Sid Luckman or whatever, way back to Hallis days, to have a kid like this with this potential. Look at the Bears. The Lions will be garbage. Aaron Rodgers back. The Vikings, I don't know what they're doing. They have a quarterback that's uh, a Trump supporter that doesn't believe in the vaccine. That's a whole other topic. But when you look at that division, who wins that? And, and will you see two teams coming out of there? Off the top of my head, I would think just one. Um, I I, um, I think uh, Fields should start opening day, but they're not going. You know, they're they're probably not going to. And you know, to piggyback on that '85 season, remember Steve Fuller played just as many games that year as um, McMahon did. So yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a crazy thing. Um, They may be, you know, you know how the NFC East was so bad last year. I wouldn't be surprised if the Central winds up being like that because you've got a Packers team that's clearly in transition. I, I think, um, I think that that Rogers thing 
is going to is going to I mean not so much divide the team, but I think that there's going to be um, I think there's going to be some problems. Plus the fact, you know, they've gotten to the NFC title game the last two years, one on the road, one at home, and they've literally and figuratively got nothing to show for it. They were already a marginal team to me at best. Um, you know, the Lions are in transition for it was like the fourth year of their 12-year rebuilding plan again. <laughs> and, you know, the Vikings, um, I just, you know, if, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven wins that division this year. But if you put a gun to my head, I guess – I guess you just sort of lean with the Packers strictly because they, you know, they're the defending champions. But I don't, I don't really see them being that big of a factor overall in the NFC. Yeah, and they, I mean, they, they got Devontae Adams, the best, arguably the best wide receiver going right now. Uh, he's he's catching everything. So I agree with you in that NFC South. Um, again, as you probably heard, the Buccaneers have a very easy schedule. They got Tom terrific, and they you, they got all the officiating, all that stuff on their side. Um, the Saints know Drew Brees. They need to go ahead and make a decision. Uh, Tayshon uh, Hill should not be the quarterback. Uh, they got issues with their Michael Thomas. They talking about trading him and all this other stuff. The Panthers in re in rebuilding. The Falcons with no weapons but Matty Ice, I guess. Right. So, so am I making it the, the case for the Bucks to win this division? Yeah, probably literally by default because everybody's got their own little issues. You know, maybe maybe because he's out of New York, maybe Darno shows up a little bit in Carolina, but I don't think they have enough to win the division. Maybe you know, possibly fight for a, a, a wild card, but I don't. Um, it's you know, barring you know, barring something really crazy, Tampa probably wins that division. They're not going to go undefeated like everybody's trying to make it out to be. But you know, they're they're you know, to quote a smarter man than me, they're paper champions. Yeah, uh, I, Myron Bell back in the day, paper champions. Uh, NFC West is very to me. You can make the case. I know Big O said that AFC North could be the best division. In football, I think it's the NFC West. When you look at the Rams, I, I it, you know, we say what you want about, you know, uh, the, the the trade they made and bringing in the quarterback from Detroit. Uh, they got, you know, the two best defensive players, arguably, in the, in the game. You know, they can run the ball, although they had a guy injured. Arizona Arizona brings in, in um, A.J. Green. You know, so we don't know if uh, if Gerald's done, but they bring in AJ Green there to help this quarterback with, you know, with uh, uh, the talent they have, San Fran and and all of that with the quarterback. But they they got weapons, guys who were injured last year coming back, and then Seattle. You never count out Russell Wilson ever. So when you look at that division, who wins, and do you see two teams coming out of that that division? Seattle and Arizona, and I think Arizona wins the division. I, um, mm. You know, they were, what was I think they were like six and three at one point and then literally just collapsed. I think a lot of it just had to do with the fact that they were a young team that, you know, hadn't really had any success. Now, they gave, you know, now letting Patrick Peterson walk 
uh, is probably not the smartest thing in the world, especially when you're bringing in a, 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 a J.J. Watt. I mean, you don't even know if you're going to get eight to ten games from him. But with that right. being said, I, I just think that um, last year was sort of a learning experience for them, and I think they finally take it to the next level. You know, I, I, um, Murray, to me, is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, those, you know, the two games between them and Seattle are going to be must-see TV games as far as I'm concerned. That, you know, that that's going to be a decent little rivalry to watch over the next few years, depending on how long uh, Russell uh, winds up playing. Yeah, and, and and to your point with Russell, they didn't really – I don't know what Pete Carroll was doing. He really didn't address a lot of the offensive line concerns that Russell himself said. I need to be protected. I'm tired of running for my life, like, uh, uh, enough already. So that, that might be the biggest thing. But like you said with Murray and, you know, Hopkins on one side, A.J. Green, if he can stay healthy on the other side, Chandler Jones on defense. I, I You know, I can see Arizona – Making that step, the Rams. I, I just think that they got they they have they're gonna beat each other up. All those teams, that that's gonna be interesting. You look at the MVP conversation. You look at some of the guys that are coming back. Everybody, T up north where you are up top where 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 we're from. They they pushing Josh Allen with this big contract. Now he's the MVP guy, and all they're always gonna talk about Brady and all these other guys. Who, who would you say could be um, the MVP and maybe offensive, defensive player of the year? I, I'm not sure about the offensive and defensive, but um, I, I put a couple shekels on Mr. Mahomes because I think he's still upset after how the Super Bowl played out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And, and the offensive moves they made on the offensive line, it helps. Speaking of that, do we see – it doesn't sound like we'll see Tampa, on, in your opinion, but maybe KC, but do we see one of those teams back in the Super Bowl? Oh, Ken, I think Kansas City does. I think Kansas okay. City will get back in there. I'm, I, you know, uh, you know um, unless they're going to have M. Night Shyamalan and Steven Spielberg right up the uh, NFC this year, I, uh, I don't. I mean, Tampa. Tampa probably makes the playoff. I don't see them. I don't see them competing as Super Bowls as Super Bowl champ. They're gonna. They're gonna have to prop. They're gonna have to prop them up a whole lot for them to get back to win to even win the Super Bowl again. I mean, I'll, I'll concede them the playoffs, but uh, no, not not repeating as Super Bowl champs. Well, you know, they 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 do that. So that's the other thing I'm I'm concerned about with their easy schedule. They I mean, I don't think their division will be that good. Well, they, no, it's they're not teams, playing a lot of good teams though. Well, see, the thing is, again, it's being predicated off of last year and we'll you know, there's always going to be one or two teams that will come out, you know, you know, I, I, I'll just say it like this. We all thought that the Dodgers, it was going to be a, a, a basically not a walk in the park, but we thought it was basically going to be pretty easy for them to repeat. And, you know, needless to say, you know, the, between the Padres and the Giants and a few other teams, you know, it, it, it's not, you know, it, it's definitely not a walk away. So I, I could see that again this year in the, I could see that in the NFC this year because I think now, the element of surprise is 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 uh is is, is gone, as well. Right. But they just you know, right. I was you know they just aren't that good of a team. I'm sorry. I just you know maybe it's sour grapes, but I just I don't think they're that good of a team. I think that they can 
um, I, I think that they can definitely be beat unless unless the rest of the league just you know is 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 that bad, and I don't and I, I don't see that. I know that division is kind of iffy, but no, I, I don't I I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're going to get back to a Super Bowl. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I really – if they do, it's, we're going to be looking back at some questionable calls and questionable games. I really do believe if they do. You know, I mean, like, they get, you know, like, you know like here? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll – you know, they'll get it right. I, I, I'm going to save my predictions for later. I want to switch to, to baseball. And when you you look at, uh, you know, we had this conversation, T, with COVID about baseball and baseball getting it right and having that until the end, of course, with the, the Dodgers player and coming out here, COVID and all that, coming out with no mask and all that. But you, we've seen um, – with my Yankees and and other teams, I know Baez got uh, got sick and all that. Be- between sick and injuries and COVID, it, how is how is the, the playoffs going to look? Is the playoffs is, is baseball going to uh, get the protocol right? Um, and even if they if if they can't handle it, uh, I'm not aware of what the the plan is. It can't be like the NCAA where you have 66 teams and two teams on backup in case COVID hits. Is that what baseball is doing? If if it, if COVID really takes over um, the, these rosters and takes some teams out, because I mean you really have some great rivalries that can happen. Uh, Boston Oakland wild card there. You got Dodgers Padres. The Padres have been struggling. Tatis out, but. Uh, you have an opportunity to see those teams and the Giants have some really good, really good drama and storylines there. So how are they handling that? How will they handle that? Well, they, they haven't they haven't let anybody know. But, you know, for the most part, it hasn't gotten that bad yet. It wasn't like last year where there were te- – you know, you got to remember, you know, the Marlins basically – we're, we're, we're fielding a double-A team because of, you know, this, this lack of players the first month of the season. And then you had the uh, Cardinals who caught it in the middle of the season. And where it was, you haven't – you've had players. you definitely had, you know, players. But it hasn't been a full team so far. So I think – if they're going to go with how, if they're, you know, because right now they're not going to do neutral sites. Everything is still, as of right now, everything, everybody's still going to host, um, you know, whoever. So if they do have a plan B, they've been, they've been keeping it very, very uh, quiet. But, you know, so far they really haven't had to because it's only been in sort of bite size as opposed to last year when there were, when there were full teams, and it just at least it seems like for this year, even though there are players that have tested positive and are still testing positive, you haven't had that like full team breakout as of yet. So 
I, I think I right, think it'll see, be but, status quo. But it, but if I'm a I'm a Yankee fan and Jared Cole tests pop, I, he's gonna miss some start. He's gonna miss at least a start. That he's got to do the protocol. So it may not not be a team, but if he misses the start, he may miss a win that we need to get into the wild card or whatever the case. Or other other teams, Cincinnati will fighting, you know, to get in it. You know, they're on the outside looking at it. So even if it's not a team, what about the players if they test positive and they well, lose, especially well, pitchers? Well, see, the um, the great unknown here, unlike the NFL, is who's vaccinated and who's not. Right. That 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 see that's the other thing. Now see now now it's been brought into the forefront in the NFL because you've had players like Cousins and others who have sort of drawn a line in the sand. You know, you heard, you know, you saw uh, Ron Rivera basically chastise his own team for not uh, getting, but see, that's the thing. Right now, we haven't really heard a lot of the numbers of the teams who's mainly vaccinated, who's not. Um, and, and see, basically, they're, I think Major League Baseball is playing, hey, if you're not, if you're not taking care of yourself, we're not going to do it. You know, last year, they, I, I think they sort of, you know, they took the thing, of, okay, because it was, um, because it was a, you know, a, a, a sprint and we made sure we wanted to make sure everybody played. This year, I think everybody's on their own. It's, it's sort of like the NFL. The NFL has basically come out and told the teams, um, you know, if you miss, if you, if you miss games, if, you know, if you have to forfeit because of COVID, so be it. We're not going to take, you know, they're they're taking the, they're they're basically putting it in the players' hands. Take care of yourself. So, do you know, buy do you buy into some of this rhetoric on on social media that says that some of these teams are um, you know not reporting everything? Let's say the Marlins. Or the Diamondbacks, two of the best, the worst teams in in baseball, and and they have to either uh, they, they have to uh, a forfeit in terms of uh, a, you know a player is out or, or the team is bad, and it hurts a certain team. Let's say if it's the Dodgers need to play the Arizona. Um, or or they don't need to play Arizona based on where they are in in the um the standing could help or hurt their situation. Do you think that COVID and, and teams hiding the situation or not reporting it right uh, uh plays a part in how the playoffs and the wild cards in particular will go down? Well yes and no because see you know, this is going to be the first year where they're not going to do the big old expanding of the rosters in September. They're going to keep them at 25, I believe, or I think they will allow for like five extra players. But uh, it's, you know, I think the COVID thing is almost going to be treated like the 40-man roster in a sense because what was happening in a lot of instances with a lot of these bad teams they were basically playing their kids because their season was basically over in in May, and they're just trying to look to see what they had. And see, that would be more of a – that would be just as much, if not more, of a factor of COVID because you're basically playing a team of unknowns. And, and that may be more – that and that may be more uh, um, hazardous 
than than the COVID protocol. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I really do. It, it's sort of a wait and see, and it's kind of a a, yeah, a yeah. team by team situation. You're you're right. Uh, real quick, a couple of because I know we're gonna go. Madison Baumgartner going back to San Fran. You. You, when you look at him and you looked at – we used to, to, to tease and laugh about, okay, San Fran, odd year, um, even year, they, they win or lose respectively. You bring back a guy. The Giants are going for broke. And with all the stuff that the, the Dodgers have done, the Padres are struggling now. Tatis, hopefully they get him back on the field. And hopefully they, they're the wild card. The Reds will breathe down their neck too. Um, the, the, the Giants are just, they're not going anywhere. See, they're not, yeah, we didn't, yeah, I don't, yeah, I didn't yeah. see that coming. And they, and they add, and, 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 and see the thing with Baumgartner, it's, 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 uh, low, it's low risk, high reward. You get a, you know, you get a season, you get a guy, of course, that's got, you know, great, um, titles. Um, <laughs> well, well you got, he's got, he's got great postseason pedigree. Now he's not close to being what he was. You know, I, right. I saw the last time I actually saw him pitch, he got, you know, lit up pretty well, but they're not asking him to be that guy. He it, this, this is, this may be even more of a sort of a Yoda situation for the youngins because um, as good as their pitching staff is, a lot of them, has never, you know, have never been postseason in in postseason. So bringing yeah. him in, you know, like I said, being sort of a Yoda type and maybe being able to contribute a little bit, that might help. Because look, they're playing with house money. They have the best record in baseball. So that's right. And 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 the moves that they've made, you know, the Bryant move, you know, when you consider all the moves that were made by everybody, the Bryant move. And possibly the Bumgarner move may wind up being the two best moves, uh, you know, in the in the long run. Yeah, and and Brian, by the way, <laughs> blasted the Cubs, of course, uh, for their uh, being liars and all this other stuff. But they, I mean, but you, you kind of get those things. But Brian is definitely you look at Rizzo before the COVID and Brian and 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 Gallo and 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 certainly Scherzer has used it, like you said. Those are some of the big moves that actually helped the team. Let me ask you this real quick. Uh, go um, AFC, I mean, um, AL then NL. Um, not to go to leaders, but go to the teams that are struggling. Who who may pick it up? I'm going to give you three teams in the AL. Boston struggling. They fell way back now. They're four back of Tampa. Uh, Cleveland's been struggling in their last 10. They're way behind. Uh, to, to even try to get to the wild card because they're not going to, I don't think they catch the White Sox. And then when you look at Houston, um, that Oakland has been, Oakland's been playing well, but Houston took it on the chin after they left the Dodgers. They've been struggling. I mean, they lost to Minnesota a couple of times. Out of those mm-hmm. three teams, so who do you think gets back on track and, and gets into the playoffs? Um. I think Boston and Houston get in. I, I think Cleveland's already done. I, I, you know, they're they're clearly rebuilding. They're not. They're you know, if they should stumble into the playoffs this year, it's strictly gonna be a wild card because they're not gonna win. You know, um, 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 unless the White Sox just have the most god awful collapse between now and whatever, they're they're gonna win the division. Um, matter of fact, I'll go out on the limb and I'll say that Boston and Houston will eventually win both of those divisions. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely, I can definitely see that. The White Sox have been lights out too. A, a, a really good story. I, I love. I've been. They, they've been Johnny come lately, but I've been thinking that they once they got that that staff in place that they would. Just to to to, to steal the old T.O. phrase, it's just a matter of time. Right. To be honest with you, right. I, to, to be honest with you, I thought the I thought the uh, Achilles heel, and to a certain extent, I still think the Achilles heel is uh, the fat guy running the team. Right. Yep. And then you nationally get. Um, you look at uh, the 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 Padres trying to stay afloat. You know, they, the five of the last ten, uh, just trying to stay and keep that second sp- slot in the wild card. Since he uh, trying to hanging in, the, I think that the uh, the Cardinals are done. I don't think they they catch anybody. Uh, Milwaukee, yeah. I think wins that. And then, uh, and I hate to, the Cardinals are maybe the most disappoint. The Cardinals. May be the most disappointing team in in baseball now. Now, agreed. I'm saying sour grapes because I picked them to win the division, but no, nah, they just. I did too. <laughs> I figured they'd at least be in the mix, but the fact that they're struggling to even, I mean, they've been so inconsistent more than anything else. Yeah, five hundred uh, below five, and and I'm I'm not saying this because you're a Mets fan, but what's going on at the two of the last ten? Atlanta's in second place, albeit you know slightly. Uh, the I still think I don't, I don't think the Phillies will win this division. I think they come back down, but you know with the Mets, what do they need? I know they got some injuries and and situations there um, to come back and and take back this lead or get back in the mix. Four words. Score some damn runs. Yeah. Yeah, sir. You can't be. You can't score a half a point. You can't score. A, you know. They, you know. They 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 could have put uh, Steve Carlton on the mound yesterday or this weekend, and they still would have lost because they're just not scoring any runs. They're not scoring any runs. You know, they're they're going. They're they're picked. They're you know. Every team goes through that dead ass stretch where they literally. It's like buzzer's luck, can't kill anything, and nothing won't die. But theirs came at the most inopportune time because, you know, you got to remember, at one point there was a five, you know, it was a, it was a four-team race at one point. But then, you know, the Braves pretty much, you know, once Acuna went out, they pretty much sealed them. Washington basically threw up the white flag with the uh, Scherzer-Turner trade. And right. the Phillies, just, you know, took advantage now. The thing is that Philly's bullpen is still whatever. I mean, I give them their due. So far, so good. You know, the last, you know, at least when when the guys in blue and orange showed up, you know, they, you know, they 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 played. But um, two, let's see, two and a half out with the rest with August, September left. We'll see. But the, I think the thing with them more is, you know, do you get. Do you get uh, Degrom back at all this year? And you know, did they did they really? You know, I think it's more. It's going to be more so like you know, who they didn't get during the um, during the trade deadline as opposed to who he got because Baez at this point in time right now Baez is looking more and more like a rental unless um, something changes. 
Right. Well, they got some some arms, um, but that, that's why I said I, I think the Philly it you know how it is in August, and you know teams go they win seven in a row, whatever the, the, the well, case. Well, well, I, think, I already it's, it's funny. I already got messages saying the season's over. I'm like, so two and a half games out with all with with the rest of August and all of September, and you're and you're you know waving the white flag. I mean, look, they look they look dead ass. They've been a dead ass team for the last two weeks, and and you know, but but at some point they will break out of it. At some point they right. will break out of it. And will it be enough to that they can get back in the in the first place? We'll see. Because you know, again, if it was like seven or eight, I would be like, okay. But it's two and a half. I mean, only the only right. the only shock to the system is that they they're in third now because because Atlanta is a half a game ahead of them. So you know, we'll see how it plays out. We'll right, and it, and the Braves are they they've struggled all year too. So, uh, is is Will or Cy Young this year? Dope, Dope, Bueller in the mix too. Even yeah. though he doesn't put out, even though his numbers may whatever, but um, and and you know, hey, if the you know one of those Giants guys would have to be mentioned, whether it's Gausman or or what have you too, you know. I mean, Wheeler's been great, and, and and I'm happy for him. I wish I wish I I wish they had had more uh, hindsight, because basically they kept uh, Bonehead Syndergaard instead of him. So, right. And he's doing his thing. Um, but uh, you're right with uh, the kid, and he is a kid. What is he? Twenty one, twenty two. The kid for the Dodgers. I mean that you know. So oh, he's, he's, he's a little bit, he's a little bit older, but it's just it's it's just you know. He seems to be the Degrom of the team because they don't score. They don't really score a lot for him. But um, but see now I think bring let's face it, he is the ace. You know Kershaw. You know has has the has the pedigree, but he is the ace. Now bringing in uh, Serger again could be a possible Yoda effect there. But see Max is still you know Max is still one of the five best pitchers in the game. You know Max. Right. Is, you know Max is still going. You know. Max is still going to give you seven or eight, and and will and will fight you tooth and nail if you take the ball away from him. So, the uh, final question, real quick: uh, the 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 Rockies thing. We're not we're not surprised about the racial slurs with the the player there, the the one of the few brothers that we have playing there for the Marlins and and the Rockies up there. But it was laughable, T, that. This guy uh, allegedly, according to what um, the Rockies are saying, that he was yelling at the mascot. So he's yelling at the mascot, nigger. Hey, nigger, come here. I'm trying to get it. So he yelled at the mascot using the N word. So, uh, so it never, it never ends, T. It never ends. He, they, uh, it, it's just really. It's just really ridiculous that these fans get to do, and they're talking about banning, and we'll see. But the, uh, again, we we don't know what's going to happen because it, it the cycle continues. No pun intended in terms of baseball. The cycle continues. You ban this guy, there's going to be another guy. He'll be yelling at somebody at the concession stand, calling him a nigger. Make America ignorant again. Yep. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Keeping America ignorant again. It's not that you've got to make them ignorant again. They're already there. 
just it it never it never yeah 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 I mean I don't I don't know what more I mean I you know the 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 fact that now they're trying to say that it, that he was going after the mascot I'm like really okay. really that's the other part like really now are they downplaying it. <laughs> You know, it is Colorado. Look, look, look. They're, they're trying not to lose the 16 fans that they do have, I guess. And one of which is probably black in, in Denver. Well, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It, you, know, it, it, you know, let's put it this way. It was, it was football season in Denver around about uh, June. <laughs> right, because Rocky, Rockies haven't been, uh, what, are we going to early 2000s or the late 1990s when they've been? Well, no, well, no, the, 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 early the early 2000s, they were pretty good. Now it's, yeah. it's I mean, even even the expansion team wasn't this bad. Right. The expansion team, the expansion team got to the uh, playoffs that second year. But, um, yeah, now well, they hang just, the- I mean, they hang they had on Larry they had on Larry Walker. They hang they had on Larry Walker, so yeah, well, Walker that, and, and Colorado that you know, that first playoff team in ninety three was pretty deep. You know, look, they've never had pitching. You know, other than you know, Ibaldo Jimenez has been the one guy that's been able to actually do something on a consistent basis there. But no, I mean right right now it's just, you know, they're 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 probably the worst franchise in. Um, they're probably the worst franchise in Major League Baseball right now. Mm. Uh, put Arizona next to them, though. I would say Arizona. Well, Arizona but, see, but, see, but see, Arizona's got some building blocks. I mean, after they, you know, if and when they let Story walk, I mean, you know, you know and, and they'll probably let Black uh, Charlie Blackman uh, off too because you know he's making more than minimum wage. So right. you know, they, look, look, they they basically. <laughs> They basically handed over the season when they let Nor when they when they basically traded um, Nolan Arenado for 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 a bag of uh, bubble gum and um, potato chips. And some pork rinds. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely I don't even right. think they got pork. I don't even think they got the pork rinds. That's the sad part about it. <laughs> well. We will continue this uh, conversation on Thursday, my friend. I- I'll talk to you in a few minutes, man. I appreciate you. All right, man, I'll talk to you. All right. Tony T. Mac McLean, he is the uh, editor-in-chief of Black Athletes Sports Network. If you missed any part of the broadcast, make sure you go on our website. We love to hear from you, uh, questions, comments, and concerns, uh, at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. And, of course, follow us on Facebook at Pat Nation, Pat Nation number two at Twitter, L.A. Bachelor on Instagram, L.A. Bachelor on YouTube. Uh, you can see and um, the show on Big Mind Entertainment. You download the app on Amazon, on Roku, and, of course, on um, uh, Fire Stick, and you can listen and watch the show there. Uh, interested in advertising and, and, of course, having your own show, you make sure you email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. We do not go anywhere. Do not leave. Uh, We got music coming up. And, of course, if you are on our website uh, right now, currently, up until midnight uh, Eastern time, wherever you are, we are playing Whisper Softly, which is love songs for you and yours at thebestofnews.airtime.pro. I 
wonder if she could tell I'm hard right now. Hmm. Yeah. Come on. Dance for me, baby. Uh oh, you feel that? Alright. Come on. Don't stop now. You done did it. Come on. Uh, yeah. Alright. Hold on. I can't deny it, but I know you 